Today's episode is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value price DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, Latino cinema, and they even produce their own content in-house, which is pretty freaking cool. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. They've got their hands in just about everything. And I gotta say, my favorite aspect of Mill Creek is how plentiful they are. It's rare that I've gone to a store and not seen their now ubiquitous logo on display. I'm sure you own at least one other title without even realizing it, and to make it even more strange, I was at Menards the other day and saw a whole selection of Mill Creek titles. <laughs> So, available at your local Menards, for those of you in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, Be sure to check out their new Hammer Horror box set, which I'm not sure whether or not that's at Menards or not, but but they put it out. Their Rita Hayworth collection, many titles within the wildly popular Ultraman series, and the David Gordon Green comedy, Your Highness. They're also well known for putting out great television series like Community, The Mindy Project, The Unbreakable Timmy Schmidt, and Eureka. God, I love Eureka. The the goddamn Sci-Fi Channel can put together an addictively cheesy series. Can't they? Well, they they have a knack of having the lowest budgets possible, but they still make it addicting as hell. <laughs> but speaking of addictively cheesy, don't forget about Santa with muscles. Oh my God, how could I forget? Yes, Mill Creek is also responsible for distributing that little Hulk Hogan Christmas classic. So head to Mill Creek. ENT.com and see what their collection has to offer. That's Mill Creek ENT.com. Mill Creek Ent. I guarantee you'll find something great. Um, I'm writing again. Fuck yeah, you are, dude. Which is really cool. I have not written anything significant in eight years. And I love writing. And I just have not been in a place where i could write and i sat down was it i texted you it was i think yesterday or the day before yes and i have nearly finished an entire script outline and i've written the first 13 pages and it's good i know it's good material i can tell that i've improved as a writer since the last time i wrote i'm excited about it um, so I'm feeling good. <laughs> That's fantastic. And I've not read the outline yet for, you know, yep. reasons I've stated off, from off <laughs> yep. mic. Uh, but I am so excited to read it. Like, cause, cause honestly, this is coming at a time where I have, I started it last time I started pandemic. Uh, yep. but it's continued on now where I've began writing again, not nearly as consistently awesome. as you have, but I have well, my whole, I've out- only done it for two days. Well, so. I haven't written, I so I'll explain that in this in a second, but I, I wrote about five new pages and accidentally deleted them all. No, no! <laughs> uh, and I do, so I ha- on the board, on my wall here, you can't see, I've got my whole beach sheet out. Like, I have all three acts, every single scene, outline numbered, color-coded! Yes! And I, on the bo- so I have not only the location, what happens, I have different colors depending on who's six, since I've got like five, char- I got five or six characters. So I have a color, I have one color if it's the main character, another color if it's the side, the side sheriff character, I have another color, like pretty much whose scene it is. Even if there's multiple yeah. characters in the scene, I do the colors to know whose scene is it. Uh, 
so I've got all that stuff on there too. Like, you know, and like, I've also have like, it, it, I call it like friction points where it's like two arrows coming in at each other. Friction points are something like, say me and you are, are in a scene together and yeah. it's like, you know, are friction points would be, Hey, I just got promoted. Things are great. And then you'd be like, yeah, but I've been having an affair with your wife. You know, friction points. Like, what what is causing the drama in the scene? Yeah. Good news, bad news. If it's not privileged information, I would love a picture of that wall. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Uh, and I'll be. I'm the first to admit. I I have this system because of the book Save the Cat. Nice. There you go. Yeah. yeah. But Which like, but about. I um. I, but I accidentally – so when I originally wrote this out, beat my beat sheet before his cards, I, I deleted that too by accident. I <laughs> I deleted so much stuff on my computer. I had a bunch of subfolders that I didn't realize, and I was trying to clean stuff up, and I deleted everything. I deleted my resume. Need, I deleted everything. You need to remove the delete key from your keyboard. Yes. You, you could say um, delete it. By the time this comes out, this probably would have already happened. Um, but I – if you – by the – yeah, by the time you're listening to this, it would have already happened, so keep an eye out on it. I'm going to be on a podcast coming up called Hard Out with okay. a filmmaker by the name of Jason Thornton, who's getting some buzz right now for a film he made called Cactus Jack. Um, he does a podcast. Oh. Have you heard of it? I think I. it's just because of Letterboxd, where I'm seeing it pop up yeah. I, on people's lists. Yeah, yeah, so Cactus Jack. Um he, which he made, and he also had a film a couple years ago on Hollywood's Blacklist, which is kind of cool. It's like un- unproduced screenplays that are getting buzz. Um, him and his brother made it. And uh, he has a podcast called Hard Out where they have a topic, and they talk for 60 minutes. And they actually have a timer that goes off, and once that 60 minutes hits, the, po- the episode ends. Even if you're mid-sentence, you're, just, you're fucking done. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, I love it. He's been doing a series with filmmakers and filmmakers and film people having them come on and discuss their favorite movies. Um, And I am very surprised that the show has been going on for a while and no one's come on to talk about Halloween. So your boy, the resident Halloween head, will be on there waxing philosophic about everything to do with John Carpenter's slasher piece Halloween. So that should already be out by the time this is up because we are recording ahead of time. Um, the other thing that we can talk about is we're starting to do some uh, work partnering up with... Oh, fuck yeah. We D- talk about that. DCIFF, the DC Independent Film Festival. Yep. Inter- uh, is it international? I think well, we should know. Fuck. We should. I think it's independent. Oh, that makes sense. What did I say? Can, international? Most of them are... Interdependent? The I is, usually the I is international... Um, you know what? You know what the I does not stand for? Is this infected? (laughs) That was a dumb joke. I was just trying to fill the air. (laughs) You did so admirably. Yes, the DCIFF, the DC Independent Film Festival, which is where my most recent feature film, which wasn't that recently at all, um, premiered. I love this festival called. Uh, normal we've talked about it but you all know um which i realized uh recently that i at some point i put that film up on youtube so if anybody cares you it's probably really hard to find and it's on an old account of mine but somewhere in youtube buried is the entire 
film, so I'm, I'm it gonna, is watchable. I'm going to force Nick to send me the link to that, and <laughs> no, and I'm going to post it everywhere. <laughs> awesome. So, anyway, we're... He's giving it to you guys for free. I paid for my copy, so, you know... <laughs> and but I, I signed it. Yes. And my wife bought your book. <laughs> yes. Oh, you guys. I love you guys. <laughs> I love both of you so much. Thank you. So, yes, we're, we're doing a, a almost a movie, like a movie club with the DC Independent Film Festival, where the way it was, just, I wasn't able to do the first one, but it's the second yep. Tuesday of every month. Um, what they do is they bring back an alumni from the from the festival's past, and they show their current film or whatever they're out advertising. And what they do is then they they do, a, I believe, a live stream uh, talking about the film afterwards. Um, and me and Nick have been asked to come on and moderate it, and I assume promote the film festival. Yeah, and yeah. promote ourselves. Yeah. So it's it's close to that. So I just did the first one. Oh, so I, I'm um, a liar. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> it's uh, so think of it like a book club, right? Where that that's the new ang- that this is the angle they're going for it. Where it has to be. The film has to be available online for free. That's one of their requirements, or at least very inexpensive. Everybody goes and watches it on their own, and then they come together. It's not publicly mm. streamed. It's like a a Zoom group. So I am a um, liar. You're you were misinformed. Mm. That's on me. <laughs> um, and and then they everybody can get together and discuss it. As Michael said, we uh, are some of the moderators. Uh, but then they also have the filmmaker come on afterwards Sweet. to do like the traditional director Q and A. But it's a, they said it was important to them for them to come on after, so you can discuss it as a book club without the like director being there. So you can talk about what you really think about. So that it. way, people weren't like, "So I thought this movie was a piece of shit, and I think the <laughs> right. guy that made it should go die." And he's right. sitting there like, "Oh, oh, cool." Uh, my mom liked it. <laughs> And then the other thing they're doing in conjunction with this, which I love just because I like cooking, is each they're having each director uh, also share a recipe at the end. And then after a while, they're going to release a cookbook of like all of these. Wait, does, does, the, the, does the director need to like come up, make up their own recipe? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. That's hard. So the, the first one um, was with a director called Kevin Tran. And here's how you uh, make cereal. Uh, his was pizza, <laughs> um, and his film, which is available on Amazon on Amazon Prime, if you want to check it out, is called "The Dark End of the Street." That's a great um, title. It was, and it's um, it's one of those like vignette films where uh, it kind of follows several different stories, kind of like an anthology. Uh, there, it's a little more tied together than an anthology, um, but it's all. What it's not about this, but what t- the glue that ties it all together is that there is someone killing neighborhood pets. Okay, and, and that is it's Creepy. not about that, but that is kind of the through line between all of these different. You're following the these days of all of these neighbors and how they interact with each other. Um, and how they interact with this news that this is happening. Um, it was really interesting. I really enjoyed it. And I loved talking with him. Um, if any of you want to become a part of this film club, you can find out more information at dciff-indie.org. 
or find them on Facebook or whatever. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a really cool program. I'm really excited to be a part of it. And is there a, a cost with this, Nicholas? It, there is not. So it's free, free for you users, just like our Find free. program. Exactly. And, uh, I don't know if we've ever worked it out yet, but we're hoping that maybe down the line, if we have one of these really good uh, Q&As, that maybe we can release it as an episode. Right, yeah. We're, we're talking with them about, like, different ways that we can interact with the festival and, you know, what is appropriate to be, like, a... Uh, bonus material for us versus you know something for them um so it's all very in the works but um but yeah no this is just kind of the the kickoff of that partnership so the shameless picture show is making waves in 2021 <laughs> um the last thing we'll say before we begin the show is if you also if, if you like what we, we i don't like doing this but you know fuck it we got to start getting better <laughs> at it if you want to if you want to be, if you want to help the Shameless Pick Show, if you were a fan of what yes. we do, consider going help to www.patreon.com slash slash Shameless Picture Show <laughs> and donating anything that you guys can can offer. You know, as little as a dollar, uh, we'll get you a thank you on the show. And we'll, I'm going to pull up Patreon real quick and make sure that we are caught up on our thank yous. Um, <laughs> I believe we are. Uh, Five dollars gets you a bonus episode. Ten dollars gets you all the bonus. Uh, sorry, five dollars gets you all the bonus episodes. Um, Ten dollars gets you all the bonus episodes plus a. Hold on, I'm getting my shit confused. Five dollars gets you all the bonus episodes and a sticker. Ten dollars gets you all the bonus episodes, a sticker, and a button. And if you are so inclined to go towards fifty dollars, you can either be on an episode as a guest or choose um, what we what we discussed on an episode. Yeah, my good friend, a favorite movie of yours. Yeah, my good friend Flounder has been donating for a little bit, and I promised him we will be doing. We already did one of his episodes. We, we did the raid. I've pretty much decided that if we're caught up and you guys are doing it for a little bit, we'll, you'll get more than one episode. Absolutely. Flounder's going to get another one. We're going to discuss Midnight Cowboy. I think that should be yes. next. Um, so you know what? We've already thanked everyone, but we're going to go through and thank everyone again. Yes. Um, and remember, you too could be on this list mm-hmm. for the low, low price of... What's the lowest that you get that one for? Dollar. A dollar! Yes. Your name will be... Famous forever. So I'm going to thank everyone who ever donated to the show thus far. It's not a big number, but it's all everyone is. <laughs> it's, it's growing. Yes, it's, every, growing. it's growing. So give me one second. So first we have Chad Livingston. Thank you. Matt Sampin. If I let me make sure I pronounce his name correct. Uh, Sampin. <laughs> yes, he's actually the owner of the town cinema in Watertown. Well, he, you said he reached out to us and just thanked us for what we were doing. Yes, didn't he? yes, and, he, and that he, is awesome. He wants us also to get uh, him a high definition version of our of our logo, and he wants to play it in the theater. Yes, we should talk to him about mate, trying to find a partnership that we could. We, do. we that, were that for a while, cool. and then COVID hit. Um, <laughs> ah, son of a bitch! And like I said, uh, Zach Brick. We have Stephen Wartruba, Paul Dieter, Stephen Millick. Joshua Barnes, and of course, good old Robert Flounder Ward, who's been essentially keeping this show going. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you all. Consider donating. Even a dollar helps us out significantly. We love you all. And uh, if you're not opposed, Nick, let's start the show. Let's do it. Take a sip of coffee. I'll take my my last sip. Warning. 
This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to a new episode. Wait, oh wow, I'm not... I don't have it written down. Let me try that again. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Vires and with me, as always, is a guy who I don't have a special quote for this week. Nick Richards. <laughs> so this week on The Shameless Picture Show, we are not actually discussing a movie. No, we're discussing ten movies. Topic episode. Topic episode, as we do, because I stole from another podcast. I stole from the Pure Cinema Podcast. We're doing five films five films because i stole that from high fidelity so yeah. we both stole it from places yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we are going to discuss five episodes and our topic today nick is you described it to me yeah so um we we actually went back and forth on how exactly to word this and, and we still haven't way, figured it out and it, it's still a work in progress the idea here is good films from that bad you, people. I'm kidding. That you, <laughs> good films that you never want to watch again. So the reason why you don't want to watch it again has nothing to do with the quality of the film. But that you... A film that you had this negative visceral reaction to that you don't want to re-experience. Yes. And it could be, you know... It could be everything from, you know, the film that just had a true emotional reaction to yeah. got to you. It could be... The film was great, but it's not necessarily interesting enough to rewatch. It could be length. It could be any reason. Just the biggest thing, we didn't want you to be like, oh, that movie sucked so bad, I'm never watching it again. No, that's right. not what it, we're here to discuss. That's not what we're doing. All, all of the films on my, well, four of the films on my list, I think are really great films. Yeah. For me, like, some, really of the films, I don't, some of the films on my list I may not necessarily like. One in particular is extremely important to film history, though I think yep. it's deplorable. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's it's extremely well made and it's important, but it's just, yeah. So there, there's there's different rationale for everything that we're choosing to, choosing to talk about. Uh, and for me, it's very rare that I'm like, I'm never going to watch this again. It's just for me, my criteria is like, there's a very, the, the chances of me going back to this sooner than later are pretty slim. Right. Right. So. So that's kind of, this, I, I'm really excited about the concept, and I think I'm not, both when pitching it to Michael and here today, I'm like, not quite nail. I think there's a better way to word it. And I I have found some lists online that have similar tones to it. Um, in fact, three of the films that I chose showed up on almost every single one of those lists. And what was interesting to me is that the films that I chose, for the most part, aren't really like they're not horror movies or scary movies mm -hmm. they're not gory movies um oh which makes me think of a sixth one <laughs> um really i think the things that turn not, not turned me off because i wasn't turned off by them most of them are really intriguing most of them i the reason why I can't go back to them is to, because I still think about them to this day. Mm -hmm. They they made huge impressions on me, and it. But it was too. But it was a, a feeling that I never wanted. I don't want to feel that way again. 
Yeah, which 100%. which is actually for the for most of the films that I'm going to discuss, to their credit, because I think that that's what the filmmakers intended. And it, it, what's interesting to me too is how some films can have this reaction. So, uh, for example, um, you know one one of the films that almost made the list was Hereditary. It's a film that's very hard to watch. Uh, it's it's extremely good. It's extremely fascinating, but it's hard movie to want to rewatch. And it's interesting to me that some filmmakers can make a film like that that has that reaction to you that it's oh this is this is tough to watch for one way or another. But then you have films. I was just talk, talking to my friend Kyle about this today. You have films like Taxi Driver, for example, yep. that deal with deplorable people, heinous situations, but the film is endlessly rewatchable, almost sure. entertaining. Yep. <laughs> yep. In a way that some other movies aren't. Because, like, you know, uh, Taxi Driver is, is, it deals with really hard subjects, but is mm-hmm. far more rewatchable than some of the other films on our list. And it's interesting. Right. And it would almost be an interesting investigative essay to figure out why some films are hard to watch and enjoyable and others aren't. Right. Yeah. Real no, quick, totally. Nick. The entire, uh, I've been watching my own camera this entire time, and I keep thinking something creepy is going to come out this the door behind me because it's it feels like a horror movie set up right there if, if all of a sudden there's just like two eyes ah that would freak me <laughs> out oh that'd be great um also by the way during that i actually thought of and i'm swapping one of my choices last minute switcheroo ah, okay so so the one that got bumped i still feel this way about it but I don't have... See, part of the problem with discussing these films is I haven't seen any of them in a really long time. Why? Because I don't want to watch them again. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not fresh... I haven't freshly watched any of these, so I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see how the conversation goes. But the one that I bumped was a last-minute substitution anyway. I had four choices that I knew I wanted to talk about, and then I was struggling to come up with a fifth. As Michael and I were talking before we hit record, um, he mentioned Harmony Trin, and uh, that made me realize that I have seen and had the same reaction to his film Gummo. Um, a friend showed it to me. It's one of his favorites. I watched it. I'm like, oh, no, that is... I do mm-hmm. not want to have anything to do with that film ever again. <laughs> but so that one I've swapped out. Um, and you were about to talk about some... Oh, you, you mentioned Hereditary, mm-hmm. which I had a very visceral... Speaking of you know what you were talking about earlier, I had a very visceral reaction to that one, too. I've already watched it two more times since I watched it for the first time a little over a year ago, um, and I could totally watch it again. Mm-hmm. Still, disturb- still like a very visceral, uncomfortable feeling. That one I could watch over and over again. The ones on my list, no. And yeah. I think, like, a, a film like Hereditary, though it's not totally unreal, it's it was the more fantastical something becomes, the more apt I... Like, because it had this, like, witch element to it, this Wiccan yeah. element to it, that made it divorced from reality enough for me to, like... It, it made me uncomfortable, but I can watch it again. There's enough separation. Or a lot of the films that I picked are don't really have a fantasy element to it. They're all extremely realistic in how they approach the the story. Mm-hmm. They're like 
scary things that actually exist in the world. Yeah. Like racism yeah. or murder. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Or drug problems. <laughs> I'll be interested to see, based on that list, if anybody listening is like, oh, I know some of the movies that he's going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. All right, Nick, who, who should start this sucker off? I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I think I started off our last list episode, so I'm going to pass it to you. Okay, well, then I'm going to talk about the one that. Um, it's been the longest since I've seen, and it's also the oldest film on my list, so. Okay. Um, making sure I have all five. Uh, so the first movie I have on my list is, like I said, the oldest film on my list from 1915. Ooh! Oh, yeah, yep, yep. D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. So, Nick, have you seen this movie? I have not. Um, it- Probably mostly because, I mean, there's tons of reasons not to watch this movie, and I understand the the reasons for those that do, but I know that this film would land in this list, so mm-hmm. I'm, like, preemptively not watching it. It's a film that we dis- watched and discussed in film school. That's the only reason I've, yeah. seen, I've seen it, because it's it is a film that is significant in that it's extremely important to film history right and i need to specify that um because this film is the reason we have the film language we do now so for uh, let me first explain so birth of a nation made 1915 by dw griffith based on a book by called the clansman by thomas dixon jr if this doesn't give you an idea of what this movie's about, I don't have to tell you. Um, <laughs> Not to be confused with Black Klansmen, yes. which, though I haven't seen yet, I am excited to see it. It is one. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, one uh, one piece of interesting history that I just saw on Wikipedia that I didn't know existed. This is the first ever, tw- this is the first and possibly only ever 12 re- real film ever made. Meaning, oh. it's three hours long. <laughs> In 1915. I wonder how many reels uh, Gone with the Wind was. Or Sound of Music. Those are some... How many reels of film is Gone with the Wind? Gone with the Wind is... Uh, Wow. No, nine reels. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that gives you a sense. So it's like a third longer. Yes. Wow. Birth of a Nation is part fiction, part history, and it's about everything from the assassination of, of Abraham Lincoln, the Civil War, Reconstruction Era, and everything in between. It, it, it's a very long movie. It's They were trying at the time to make the most, most historically accurate Civil War film ever made. Okay. But it's also considered to be one of the most controversial films ever made because of its blatant racism. It a uh, film portrays uh white actors in black flag black I almost said black flag, blackface playing <laughs> African Americans and they have them portrayed as stupid and aggressive and sexually Just, sexually aggressive and yeah. also they present the the KKK as being almost like heroic heroic superheroes. And there's a lot of issues with it. So, it, so maybe they missed the mark on most historically accurate. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Um, and even at the time, the film was considered to be um, 
problematic. Um, <laughs> Man, they they were 1915 racist. <laughs> even at the time, they thought uh, people like the film was weirdly successful. Even though like people at the time were even saying this isn't right. Wow. And if you were to fi- if including inflation. Um, if you were to consider that, the film made about fifty to a hundred million dollars, and it's considered to be the first ever blockbuster. That, well, if that doesn't say something about our country, yeah. So why? So like I said, this I need to specify that this film is incredibly important to film history because D.W. Griffith, even though he's making a very fucked up, problematic film was a visionary when it came to filmmaking. People weren't making films like this at this time. It, it had a lot of innovations that people weren't thinking about. Like, even as simple as um, cutting on action and um, and uh, continuity editing. Because a lot of silent films, they wouldn't cut the camera. They would just cut from scene to scene. Um, or they would show a scene play out and then show it all over again from beginning from a different angle. Instead of intercutting, intercutting uh, close ups like i said a lot of times most most silent films were shot from a wide shot and maybe once an occasion they would cut to a close-up but he was actually doing continuity editing especially okay. like you know if, if, if a guy's riding a horse and pulls his sword out in a wide shot as he's pulling it out and he and it cuts to a close-up mid motion people weren't doing that in 1915 yeah. the filmmaking language hadn't been established yet he was using special effects he was using deep focus photography he was using jump cuts he was using close-ups this stuff wasn't being done at all so there's a lot of things that make this film important because no one was making that and it's almost it's so disheartening to know that such a terrible problematic film is one of the most inspirational when it comes to the way that we watch movies now the the technicality yes any movie that you watch nowadays owes something to dw griffith and it's almost it's a shame that someone who is so innovative to this art form was so fucking terrible. Um, so this this thing that we call filmmaking, this that has been inspirational and has grown into such an important thing, owes its success to something really racist. Yeah. Like, if that's not a parallel, the History then Channel I don't know what actually it is. says that he they truly believe that the 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 KKK becoming as prolific as it was and becoming so accepted in the public is a big part of because of this film. Wow! And actually, I think there's a. Huh. Um, um, I'm going to read this part from the Wikipedia page because I think it, it says it's. I think it's kind of interesting. Despite its controversial story, the film has been praised by film critics, with Roger Ebert mentioning its use as historical tool. He says, The Birth of a Nation is not a bad film because it argues for evil. Like uh, Lenny Reifenstahl, who uh, was a female filmmaker who made Nazi propaganda films, Triumph of the Will, it is a great, it is a great film that argues for evil. To understand how it does so is to learn a great deal about film and even something about evil. So he he, he says it's a great film that argues for evil, um, right. and and because uh, and to know that it's arguing for evil is part of the art. It, it it's like 
breaking down and understanding the entire concept of propaganda. Yeah, like, have you, like if you've seen any of, if you've seen any Nazi footage, it's Lenny uh, uh, Lenny Reifenstahl shot that, and okay. she was pretty much you know she wasn't necessarily a a Nazi in that she believed that Jews were lower humans, but she was very much a well I don't want to fucking get killed by this man, so I'm going to do what he says. Um, she, the reason Hitler rose to his power is because of her filmography. Mm-hmm. She, she mm-hmm. any of that famous footage of Nazis March, that was her. And she found that how she can essentially build someone up using images. So yeah. once again, she's also a very important filmmaker who made deplorable stuff. Yep. I also find it interesting that she used to talk back to Hitler and he couldn't do anything because he, he, she was essentially in charge of him making him look good. So I love <laughs> that she would, uh, you know. I mean, that doesn't excuse her, no, her, no. her helping that man rise to power, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at least she got a She's a controversial fi- I think she, she's also a controversial figure who's fascinating but made, you know, terrible made stuff. Made the world the worst place. Yeah. Yeah. But well, like, great, at the same time, great though, if, fucking I would, pick. If, if I was in her shoes and the options were make Hitler look good or die, well, fuck, but, I don't know what I, I, choice I would it, make. It, it's yeah, like it. It's easy to play the uh, the. Well, I would never do that card, but I mean, it, to a lesser extent, um, you can see. I mean, we're we're in the middle of this impeachment trial of the president, where we're deciding whether or not. We're going to um, the the events of January sixth should be something that is, you know, punished or not. Yeah. Um, and, and we're watching people in real time decide where they're going to fall on that line. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting. Yeah. Great, great fucking pick, man. That yeah. that is. It, I mean, having not uh, seen the movie, that is like. That is exactly the kind of film that I was thinking of when I thought of this concept. Yeah, um, and it's and I had to specify too because there's a lot of people online who'd be like, "This film should be banned. It's in, it's immoral and everything." And it's like, yes, to an extent, I agree. But also, like, we need to see why this film is important because it is filmmaking yeah. as the art wouldn't be where it is right now. Without a film like this, as fucked up as that is to say, if D.W. Griffith would have never made this film, like I know filmmaking as an art would have eventually got to this point, but it'd be further behind. Sure, sure. So, my first choice was *Birth of a Nation* by D.W. Griffith. <laughs> well, I I kind of at the last minute reordered mine because that is a. I think an appropriate segue into one off of my. I think list. I know which one you are. You think? Oh, <laughs> I think. Um, another uh, film that explores um, white power and Nazis. Um, uh, in in this case, a more modern neo-Nazi uh, world uh, from. 1998, directed by Tony Kay, American History X. Um, I saw this film like probably shortly after it came out on on DVD, um, and I tell you what, this and I have watched this film multiple times. 
I this, um, so this movie used to come on occasionally on AMC, and it was one of those movies. No matter where I put it on, I kind of got transfixed and couldn't stop watching. It is captivating. Yes. The film, like, and it's not. They never. Um, they never. This this is not propaganda. They no. are not um, uh, making these characters look like great people, but they're also exploring them in a very human way. They're, they don't just say, hey, these are all evil people. Um, and what really captivates me, I mean, the whole, the whole film is great. What really sticks with you is the last minute of the film. Mm-hmm. So there is this journey of like people trying to say hey this life doesn't make sense this hate that you're holding on to doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. and you go on this journey and then it gets to a point towards the end where you're like oh the people with fucked up views have learned a lesson and then in the last frame spoiler alert if you haven't seen it in the last frames of the film the white kid whose older brother kind of brought him into this world of neo-Nazis, who's like, you know what? This is fucked up. He's thinking to himself, I am not going to follow this lifestyle anymore. Get shot by a black kid. Mm-hmm. And that fucked me up. I didn't understand. I'm like, why would you do that? Why, why would you end the film this way? And it stuck with me and it made me watch it again. Made me watch it again. Um, there's also a really, really nasty curb stomping scene. Oh yeah, is if people just, remember anything from this movie, that's usually it. The sound of that him his teeth touching the curb is just so gut wrenching. Um, but anyway, the the what I came to, I wouldn't say realized because I I can't say that this was the filmmaker's intention, but how I eventually interpreted that ending was as a challenge okay to okay. two people so you're you sit and watch for two hours them go okay yep nazis are bad racism racism is bad does this white power concept is bad are you gonna hold on to that belief when you see a black kid shoot a white kid mm-hmm you know, are, how how strong was that lesson that you learned? Can you still, after realizing that all of that hate is bad, when you see a black kid murder a white kid, can you still hold on to that lesson that you learned? Yeah. So that that's how I decided to interpret it mm-hmm. um, as a challenge to the audience. Um, and again, great film. And I just, I, I, again, I think that ending is the only reason why I could watch it subsequently. And after a year or two where I probably watched it five or six times, like, I have not watched it since then. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a movie, when I saw when I was younger, I couldn't tell you why I was as captivated with it as possible. And probably a big part of the reason was it's like, it was making me think without realizing it, you know. It's weird to think that a movie about, you know, neo-Nazis 
is making you think subconsciously. <laughs> but yeah, it kind right. of, like, you know, it's because I, I was relatively young. I was, I was well, at least middle school, maybe early high school, and the first time I saw it, and, like, I knew what I was watching was controversial and mm-hmm. it was saying something i just and i knew what i knew the the broad strokes of saying nazis are bad nazis this is a, bad. Don't this be is a bad way to live your life and you know and that and that's kind of what's in the end edward norton's character is trying to instill in edward furlong's character is nazis are bad yeah. this is a fucked up way to live i hate <laughs> that i did this to you the end but like you know there's more b- beneath the surface and like it's also an interesting story behind the scenes the little bit I can remember, like I remember reading that um, uh, Tony K at one point they the studio did an edit of the film that he was very unhappy with because he thought it was it was ignoring the point he was trying to make, and okay. he wanted to, and you know he's like okay I'm already making a controversial enough film, <laughs> but then if you're making a controversial film that doesn't have doesn't have the message I have said you're just making a there, controversial there film. needs to right there needs to be a reason behind the controversy and at one point he was Otherwise trying to you're just a dick <laughs> he was trying to Alan Smithy the film and for those of you who don't know but Alan Smithy is a popular pseudonym used amongst directors when they don't want to put their name on a film and it was <laughs> and it was rejected. <laughs> um so um but then like he he, they were trying to cut the film or take the film away from him and he was arguing with them and told them that what they're doing is fucked up and then he eventually became unemployable in hollywood because he was he was viewed to be um um uh, hard to work with hard to work with that you don't want yes um yeah so like um yeah he was so he wanted to put Alan Smithy on there and the film credits, and he, he even said, said, uh, put a bunch of pseudonyms, and they all were rejected. Um, he, apparently, he also tried to sue the Directors Guild. There was a whole lot going wow. on behind the scenes of this film. Wow. Um, yeah, and yeah. you know, it, I kind of gave that disclaimer where I decide how I chose to interpret that ending. Like, I don't know if that was what the intention was. And, and I think I choose to interpret that it that way as much as more than I think that that's what was actually intended. But that's kind of the only way that I can make sense of that ending in a way that I'm okay moving on with. Uh, Also of note, I didn't, I, I had forgotten this, but in our last episode with coal miners daughter, we mentioned, uh, the amazing performance by Beverly D'Angelo, and we kept saying, and we were saying, like, we, you know, everybody just knows her as the way she's in this. Oh fuck! I forgot about that. <laughs> I think she's their mom, right? I don't remember. I don't remember okay. being in the movie. Yep. So that's kind of cool. and of course Ethan Suppley, who I love from Boy Meets World, is also plays a horrible skinhead racist. Which have you <laughs> seen what he looks like recently? No. Look look up Ethan Soupley now. Okay. Just do it real quick. I want I want to I want to see your reaction. <laughs> the Today show. Uh, I look up Holy images. shit. Yes. <laughs> he is looking good. Yes, he is a show of his former self. I would not kick that man out of bed. No. <laughs> Now, you know, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big proponent of diet culture and all of that, but you know, he, 
he 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 wanted to do what he wanted to do, and he looks phenomenal now. He's you know he's he's a strong looking man. Yeah, you know and he he's ripped now. <laughs> so yeah, he does he 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 does not look like himself. Like, I thought he looked. Like, I remember when I watching like, um, my name is Earl, and thinking, oh man, the kid from Boy Meets <laughs> World lost some weight. Yep. Good for him. <laughs> but now it's like. Who's this professional wrestler? It, right, yeah, totally. <laughs> his, so, his, his muscles stare me. The the holy shit was worth the price of admission. <laughs> that was better than what I was hoping for. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, so next All right, next so that's my mine. number five pick. All right, so for me, my number four pick is a 2009 experimental black comedy directed by Harmony Corinne. Trash humpers. <laughs> I I've never heard of it, but it sounds like Harmony Corinne. So title. Harmony Corinne is a filmmaker that I find endlessly fascinating. And while I don't necessarily always get what he's going for, <laughs> or really know if I want to know what he's going for, <laughs> I will probably I've not seen all of his old films, but it's one of those things I'll probably watch every one of his films at some point and be like, even if that's not for me, you are a fascinating human being. <laughs> right. Um I, and I'd love to buy him a beer and sit and listen to him talk for two hours. <laughs> Actually I do have a funny story about that. Real quick before I talk about <laughs> trash humpers, so I'm a big I'm a big fan of professional wrestling. And Harmony Corinne a couple of years ago made a film that I was a big fan of called Spring Breakers. And in the film Spring Breakers, he has – there's a character near the beginning of the film who's like a youth minister. And he's played by a professional wrestler, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. And I always remember sitting there thinking, I was like, that is so weird. Why the fuck is Jeff Jarrett in this movie? You know? I don't get it. Yeah. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was at a hockey game. And they were doing a tribute to professional wrestling. I was like, holy shit, hockey and wrestling <laughs> together? Fuck yeah. And I got a chance to meet Double J, Jeff Jarrett. And I, so, you know, you, it's like a quick meet and greet. They're signing your thing and you're kind of moving along. So like, I knew I only had yeah. time for one question. And <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to ask him about his time as NWA world heavyweight champion, some of the matches he's had, but I thought, no, this is going to be my only chance. I was like, okay, I have a question for you. How, how the fuck did you end up getting in Harmony Corinne's film Spring Breakers? And his face lit up. He's like, oh, you saw that. And, and. He's like, well, and he's got a southern accent. He's like, well, you know, I was at the time I was thinking about doing a little bit of acting because, you know, what we do as wrestlers, there's a lot of acting involved. And I, my manager told me that some young filmmaker by the name of Harmony Korine had a role coming up. And he was, and his exact words were, he was looking for someone to play a preacher that has a pro wrestling attitude. And he, was, and he goes, well, shit, that's me. <laughs> and I was like, how specific? A preacher with a pro wrestling attitude. What? And he's like, so I went and did the movie, and then he's like, I was invited to the premiere in Nashville, because my family's all in Nashville, and I will say, Spring Breakers is one of Harmony Corinne's more tame films. Yeah, that, but from what I've heard, I haven't seen it. It's, it, it's, it's, it got a big theatrical release. It's still really fucking good, but it's it's not near as experimental as, as some of his other films. Um, but it's still a Harmony Corinne film. And he's like, I did not know anything about the, the filmmaker, but he was a really sweet guy. He invited me and my family to the premiere. And I will say that is not the movie I expected to take a, my family and teenage daughters. <laughs> uh, so I had to tell that story. But <laughs> Awesome. So... 
Trash Humpers does not really have a story. He shot the film on VHS, and it's essentially about a gang. Sorry, I was getting uh, messages. Make, let me just make sure it's something yep. important. Um, essentially about a gang of old people <laughs> who go around in the middle of the night who do antisocial things like spray painting, humping trash cans, screaming, and just doing a bunch of fucking weirdness. They essentially presented like like a gang of thugs. Like, have you ever seen Jackass? And you know when they dress up like old people in Jackass and do, go doing crazy things? Like bad grandpa yeah. kind of... Yeah, imagine that, but directed by Harmony Korine. <laughs> and that's essentially what this is. And he said he came up with the idea when um, he was walking his dog in the middle of Nash- uh, at night in the middle of Nashville, and he saw a trash can laying in the middle of the street, and there was a streetlight above it, and it just had this earthly glow around it. And he just thought... He he is like, huh? I love that. I love how beautifully this trash can is lit right now. <laughs> and then, so it's just, it's a bunch of like sequences of people masturbating to trash, vandalism, doing drugs, making pancakes, and a bunch of weirdness. And for if you go on Letterboxd, this film. You'll, you'll see one-star review, one-star review, one-star review, five-star review, four-star review. It's all over the fucking place. <laughs> and I think I don't understand this film. It's hard to watch. I don't know if I'd ever want to re-watch it. But I also weirdly think this film might be a masterpiece that I just don't – a masterpiece of avant-garde art cinema that I just don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to understand it? Do you want to be the kind of person, and I and I don't. There's no judgment attached to this. I'm curious. Do you like if you had the choice? Somebody came down and was like, "Okay, I can transform you with the snap of my finger into somebody that understands the brilliance behind trash humpers." Do you have them snap their fingers, or are you like, "I'm good"? You know what? I'm good. Yes. I do have them snap their fingers. However, I have this sinking suspicion that the secret of trash humpers is that there is no secret to trash humper. It's just people fucking humping trash. And that most (laughs) people are thinking too deeply into it. But that also... Have I not seen it? That's my suspicion. (laughs) Go on YouTube sometime and just watch like some of the clips from trash humpers and you'll get the entire idea. Gotcha. Um, And actually, uh, there's a quote from Harmony Korean. He said, Korean sees the film as an ode to vandalism. And he says, I have a deep love and admiration for these characters, not for what they do, but for the way they do it. There can be a creative beauty in their mayhem and destruction. You could say these characters are poets or mystics of mayhem, comedic with a vaudevillian horror. Corinne wondered whether this might make mainstream society envious of their social freedoms. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So... Yeah, like I, I find Harmony Korine endlessly fascinating. I think he's a truly brilliant filmmaker, and I don't get his work. Um, <laughs> I definitely find myself liking his more mainstream films, like like Mr. Lonely and Spring Breakers and uh, Beach Bum better, mainly because there's a little bit, not a whole lot, a little bit more narrative cohesion, and he also has one of the mo- one of the best cinematographers working in film today shooting his films his name is benoit debbie um you know he shot irreversible enter the void uh he's a phenomenal filmmaker so you know you can make the craziest films and he'll make them look good (laughs) 
<laughs> nice. Yes, because I, I truly do love um, art cinema. I, yeah. I I like art. I like, I I lean a little bit more towards art house narrative film. Say something like in the in the sense of Spring Breakers or Drive or Lost River. But I do find uh, I have a true appreciation for these more down and dirty, grimy, experimental films because that's yeah. that's my background. While I was never good at making them, UWM was an art school, and we spent a lot of time studying these people. Okay. So, how much time did you spend masturbating to trash while there? <laughs> Uh, if you that... if you subscribe to our Patreon, I'll tell you. <laughs> yes, great answer. <laughs> I audited that class. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. My number four. This is the one that I that uh, I haven't told you about because I swapped it out at the last Ooh, minute. Ooh, baby. Um, I know you are. This is the only one on my list that is horror. It's a horror film. Horror. Um, and I know we have a lot of listeners who are horror fans. We so really do. For us not being a horror podcast, we have that market. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if, how many people I'm going to put off here. I like horror. I enjoy horror. I don't uh, watch quite as much watch as you um, have, but I I loved the 80s, 90s, even into the 2000s when it got really like they were trying to like up the visual, but like the content went down, um, and up the visual in a two thousand sense, where like oh let's throw computer graphics in, even though computer graphics weren't mm-hmm. good yet. Um, so my number four pick from two thousand five, Eli Roth's Hostel. Oh, I actually kind of love Hostel. Do you? Yeah, I've. I've watched it twice. I saw it the first time, and I I was not good with the film. And I thought, and I heard some other people in my circles that said they enjoyed it. I gave it a second chance. I did not get anything from this film, except hey, I'm gonna sit you down and force you to watch dismemberments and and like it. It seemed like just, hey, sit here and watch people be tortured in a way that I just did not get anything from. And I'm not going to say you're wrong. <laughs> but, and can, I, I guess to an extent, I'm a little bit of a Eli Roth apologist where I don't think his films are as deplorable as some people say they are. And I'm not saying that's what you're saying either. Yeah, um, I, I do not... I have not really liked any Eli Roth fan films. Oh, you don't like any of his fans, eh? Fuck you, too. Fuck his fans. No, I I like many of his fans. Uh, I have not liked a single Eli Roth film. I've seen a handful of them. I haven't seen the entire catalog. Um, I think you'd like The House of a Clock in Its Walls. Yes, I have seen that, and I did like that film. Ha! I knew one you'd like. You, You got me. You got me. Um... And it is not because I think he's deplorable. Okay, so it's not... I don't get much from most of his work. That's fair. Um... And and again, that's coming from somebody who I I watch quite a bit of horror and I enjoy... I loved Hereditary. That was amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I will watch that over and over again. Um, Freak. But yeah, Hostel was not for me. No, and that's it, fair. It gave me... It it made me uncomfortable in a way that had zero fun. I, I don't mind being uncomfortable when I watch a film. There there was no nothing positive in the film or, or even intellectually stimulating or there was nothing that caused me to go okay there's something that i can get out of the film so i don't mind the discomfort it was discomfort for the sake of discomfort from my perspective that's fair um and i would be very open to hearing and uh you know, a civil debate over another take on that to say, well, here's where I think you're mistaken or what you might have missed. I will say, I, I, I will explain what I got out of it. Um, sure. At least yep. what I like about it. I can't, I don't want to go too long for him because one, this episode is going to be long enough as it is. And two, <laughs> it's been a couple of years since I've watched it. So I don't want to, it's, if I'm going to defend a, because you're not the only person with that opinion. And I understand. Yep. I, and I know I'm also in a minority for liking it. Um, and, you're, and I've had to make this argument, or not not argument, but I've had to do some defending of this film in the past, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I will say, what I liked about it is, I went into this film not knowing anything about it other than the title, and that it was con- uh, it was considered, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but um, is infamous at the time. Yep, yep. And I remember I bought a copy of it uh, on Blu-ray, in the early <laughs> days of Blu-ray, um, from uh, uh, Suncoast Video, where, nice. I, where I overpaid for it. Did you also it. pick up some sunglasses and puta shells? Yeah, uh, and I overpaid for it, <laughs> as you did with Suncoast as part of the charm. Um, and I went home and I watched it with headphones on, if you can believe it. Because I knew it was like, oh, there's probably going to be a lot of violence and screaming, and I didn't want that weird situation of my parents coming in like, what the fuck are you watching? Because like, I don't have an answer for uh, I, I, I'm just masturbating in here. Uh, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm just humping trash. <laughs> um, but what I got out of it is like I knew nothing about the film. I found myself really engaged with it. Because like, one of the biggest complaints that the film gets is that the characters are unlikable. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think they're written to be unlikable. Yeah. Because they felt Uh, real to me. They felt like the type of people that would go to this, go to a European town to fucking party. Right. I was brought in. I was, I was, I liked the rather slow burn mentality of it where it took its time to bring you into the world. They are establishing this weirdness, this underground network of things that are happening. Um, Slowly as time went on, uh, I liked the way the film was shot. I liked the way that as the film went on, we kind of got to know these people and started realizing things are going down. And then when we finally get to that big moment of the, of the main character being taken to this warehouse of this like secret society type of thing, um, that point on, which the film is hard to watch at times, it became for me this, phenomenally tense movie about trying to escape. I was legitimately edge of my seat, chewing my nails the entire time as he was trying to escape and my heart was pounding. And I thought this film is effectively doing something besides just playing. It's not like a faces of death type situation where it's like, here's all this gore and crazy. That film is in there, but there was so much good filmmaking being done in this film to keep me going. And then I was also impressed 
when I've rewatched the film, how um, creative it is with hiding shit. So, you know, there's that big spoiler for those who haven't seen it, Nick. I'm uh, sorry to bring this up again, but there's that incredibly hard to watch Achilles tendon scene. <laughs> I love when he goes to cut the Achilles tendon right before you see anything, it smash cuts to something else. Right, but our right. brain tricks us into thinking it was far more gory than it was. And don't get me wrong, there is a lot of gore in this film. But yep. what what I appreciated about it is there was this really tense narrative going on. It wasn't just gore for gore's sake. Well, there was definitely those moments. But I <laughs> so liked, be dory for doriness sake. <laughs> yeah, but there was there was like this crazy. Like I, I found myself fascinated by this idea of this underground society, and I've kind of worked that into some of my own scripts. And I I just think that that climax of the film is so incredibly tense. And then there's that cheering moment near the end where that 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 Asian woman is having her face disfigured, and he decides I have my way out, but no, I'm gonna go save her. And it's almost like the crowd cheers. Like there was no crowd; I was watching myself. But it <laughs> almost feels like if you've been watching this in theater, the entire group would have been like, "Yeah, he went back." And I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I know I'm in a minority I, for this, but I definitely got more out of the film than most people did. Yeah, and and if you got something on it, I would never say you're wrong, and it's a bad movie, and you know um, that's. I'm glad you got more out of it than I did. Um, I have two two additional thoughts. One, uh, true to the concept that I was trying to come up with. I do think, from my recollection, it's been a while. I do think that Hostel was a well put together movie. Yeah, I think it effectively did what it seemed to me that the filmmaker was trying to do. So I don't, I I don't cut down on the filmmaking or the filmmaker. It just didn't work for you. It's, it's not for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I would be interested in. If I were willing to watch it again, which kind of goes against the concept of this conversation, but if I were, I'd be interested in watching it side by side with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And here's why. I, I had similar visceral reactions to both of them, but I could watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre over and over again. I enjoyed that film. I got a lot out of that film. That film interests me. Hostel does not. Okay. And so I wonder, having received similar react, you know, feelings from both of them, what the difference is for me. Yeah, it kind of goes back to what we're saying, what we were talking about up top about Taxi Driver. Like, what yep. is the difference? Yeah. Why is, is that... one more watchable than another? Right. Yeah. It, it'd so be... there, there's my number four. Uh, Fuck, we still got a lot to go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's speed it up here. Speed it up. All right, so... What's so, your number three? So my number three is... So I did I did Birth of Nation. I did Trash Humpers. Um, my number three would probably be... And this film... Like I said of any of these, these are films that I feel like... I wouldn't necessarily say I would never watch again. Just less likely. But it's, this next film is one of those movies that if someone hasn't seen it... I feel like I'm more likely to rewatch it with them. I don't know. Like, if a man ever said, "Hey, I'm kind of intrigued by that film," I'd be like, "Let's do it." Next film on my list. Hold your hand through it. (laughs) Yeah, from 1980, directed by Ruggiero Diodato, 
Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> so you can hear me and Jay Gilke talk long for long form about this movie back in season three, I believe it was. Yes, yeah, season yeah, three. I really enjoyed listening to your your conversation together about how you know, and I've never seen the film, but I I got a lot out of your conversation. Let me ask you this before I t- kind of talk about what the film's about. I'm gonna not gonna go super in depth, but what did you get out of the conversation not having seen the film? Um, Sorry to put you on the spot, but I'm just kind of curious. Other than, yeah, it's also been a while since I've listened to the episode. Um, that it's hard, a hard watch. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think I would get more out of the film having listened to your conversation going into watching it for the first time than I would have if I just watched it for the first time without that perspective. Um I understand from from my recollection is there's some animal cruelty that's filmed, which is uh, tough and and something that we discussed in Apocalypse Now with the the bull murder at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, that that's the best recollection that I have of your yeah, and it's definitely hard for them to watch. And actually, so there's a company that put it out called grindhouse releasings um actually uh that company was started by bob morowski who is sam raimi's longtime editor and he actually won an oscar for the hurt locker and edited uh the new orson wells film other side of the wind um but then you know uh, that those sam raimi team they all did pretty good themselves yeah sorry my microphone keeps like clipping it keeps getting hot every once in a while but um so it was direct it was company started by him and sylvester stallone's son stage (laughs) um but um so company started by them and they had they did a release of the film they did a cruelty free cut where they cut out all that stuff and I can see both sides of the coin. I Part of me feels like part of the journey of this film is seeing that. But at the same time, I also 150% agree when people say they don't want to watch it. Yeah. Like, I knew for myself, I and I turned my head, I had to cover my eyes, I had to do all that. I knew for myself I had to see that cut of the film. I had to see the original preferred cut of the film. Yeah. But... You know, say if I were to rewatch with Amanda and she'd be like, you know, I don't want to see that stuff, then we're going to watch the cruelty free cut. And that's that's what I and I'd be cool with that. Right. But I actually think the film is a rather fascinating film, but it is definitely a hard film to watch. Um, And a big part of the reason is the, the cruelty. Like I there's some people out there who think this movie is terrible. I actually think this film is kind of a masterpiece. Um, and it, so in such a sense that this film was such a – it stirred up so much that – especially because Diodato told the cast to essentially go into hiding um, when the film came out. Uh, that they, ha- they took him to trial to, because they really thought he murdered these people. Wow. So, yeah, I, that's for this reason I think the film is actually kind of fascinating. Um, it's not for everyone, but out of all the the cannibal films, because that was a whole subgenre, um, out, of, out of the cannibal films, I think it's probably the best and actually has a really gorgeous soundtrack. If you guys have been listening to the Shameless Picture Show, you'll occasionally hear our ads for Midnight Movie Society. 
that really nice music I play in the background. Like, yeah. dun, 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 dun. That's the theme song from Cannibal Holocaust. Okay. Okay. Nice. So, that's my number three. Cool. I love how this is a big list of films that we're like, even though they're good movies, we're like, we do not recommend these ten films. Yeah. They are great. <laughs> Don't watch them. Don't watch them. <laughs> Okay. You in the, have in the spirit been of warned. <laughs> in the spirit of this not being a three-hour episode, um, we'll move it along. Hey, I did a pretty uh, fast one in that last one. You did. Fuck it off. was good. It was good. I feel no. That was that was more of a criticism of myself in my first. Well, two. I'm the one over. Um, I, I took over the the hostile one <laughs> with your with your defense of Eli Roth. <laughs> oh, we we should didn't break up a Rob Zombie film because I defend that man too much too. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so my number three pick from 2006 based on a true story which i think is part of why i have the reaction to this got a lot of mediocre reviews um but i really enjoyed and also can't watch alpha dog i don't know this film okay so this is this is a um stars uh i don't know how to pronounce it emile hirsch i think oh. it's emile that movie justin timberlake and anton yelchin um it is based on a true story of this like wannabe like rich kid drug dealer who is trying to like prove a point to one of his salesmen kidnaps his younger brother so that he'll pay him and then, but the little brother is just kind of hanging out with them. He's mm-hmm. not, you know, he doesn't have them taped up in a basement. He's trying to be cool to this little kid, but also get his older brother to, to pay up. And then the younger brother, played by Anton Yelchin, um, starts kind of having fun, hanging out with all of these, you know, cool guys and, and these girls. And then, because shit goes bad, um, he, uh, Emil Hirsch, who is the, the drug dealer that kidnaps the kid, basically tells one of his subordinates that would do anything for him, you have to go kill this kid. Damn. And, and there's this, the, the climax of the film is, um, is him, like, take this, this subordinate driving him up to this hill at night. And shooting Anton Yelchin. Ooh. Um, and it is brutal. Yeah. His performance in that scene is so hard to watch. It is brutal. Um, overall, like it, it, like it, it ends horribly, but all the rest of the film I really enjoyed. I, I think I it remember is... I wanted to see this film um, when it came out. And then just, and like, even just looking at it now, like Emil Hirsch. Justin Timberlake, Ben Foster, Anton yeah. Yelchin, who I said like rest in peace, um, Olivia Wilde, are all, yeah. Harry Dean Stanton, yeah. and Nick uh, Ca- Bruce Willis has yeah. a small role in it. And Nick Cassavetes, who directed this, is the son of John Cassavetes. Yep, yep. Like that's fucking it is, cool. I think this film is tragically underappreciated. And still, like I, I own it. I bought it after I watched it the first time, and I have not, not watched it again because I, I can't. It's too brutal. I don't. Yeah, like it's, uh, it's plus it's a film I want to see. Justin Timberlake is so fucking like 
adorable. He plays kind of like this, you know, he's a shithead, but out of all of the characters other than than the kid that gets shot in the end, he's the most likable of everyone. Justin- and he's just so charming jt turned out to be a triple threat man he can I, sing you know he can dance he i can act who would have thought that justin right. timberlake would end up being as, as talented as he is right now this and i, I don't want to move into controversial territory here i know he's in hot water because of the britney spears documentary oh i, I have want- not seen it I have not heard the accusations yet. Oh, I've not heard anything. So, I didn't know he was on yeah, hot water. No, I've I've just heard bits and pieces. But apparently, this this Britney Spears documentary came out where she kind of she talks about their relationship uh, and some ways that he was not. Oh okay. no! Oh, I no. have not heard the accusations, so I'm not. I'm talking about how much I like Justin Timberlake at a time when, like, there might be new information that, yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm so I'm not weighing in on that yet. I can't, uh, I, I haven't heard it, so I didn't know about any of that. So, well, now yeah, I gotta watch so that. You know. that I, well, I yeah. wanted to watch that Britney documentary anyways because, <laughs> because you know she's an she's a misunderstood soul. Yes, um, yep. And I've also found in the last couple of years I've become a big defender of pop music. Yeah, no, I've I'm Which, right when I was younger, you. I was very much that guy. I'm like, if it's not punk or whatever, it's not real music. I was a fucking shithead that entire time. And um, Ta- Taylor yeah. Swift is fucking amazing. I've not listened to much of her music yet, but like this dude, her th- last two albums are really fucking. So good. Gorman Bouchard, a filmmaker I really like, he made that movie Cycles in Love. I've discussed uh, ad nauseum yep. on the show. He also did a documentary about pizza in New Haven, Connecticut, that I really like. <laughs> and he also does like a lot of cool punk documentaries, like about the replacements and Lydia and Lydia Lovelace. Uh, but sh- he went on a a rant about how. The Netflix documentary about Taylor Swift was one of the best music documentaries ever made, and that gives a whole new perspective about who she is and her talent, and that made him a fan. And then, awesome. like, I've I've also become a huge fan of Miley Cyrus in the last year. Yeah. So you yeah. know, I'm just a defender of pop music. I I realize I was being a shithead for all those years. <laughs> And that I'm trying to make up for it. And oh, I, I'm kind of at a point where there's very few genres of music off limits for me. Where, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean yeah. I'm going to like them all, but I'll give almost everything a chance now. Totally. Totally. Well, um, we'll have to follow this episode up with like five albums that we'll never listen to again. <laughs> On our spinoff podcast, about I've music. actually thought about doing a on, for Patreon a Patreon radio where like each month nice. I would pick like five songs and I I, I was going to do it all analog. It's going to be through vinyl, and, <laughs> and the reason I want to do it on Patreon so that way I'm I'm it's not out there in the ether. Uh, right. Where I would record from my turntable five songs and give a little intro to them. Nice. So maybe, Very maybe cool. I'll do it. Um, Shameless and, pirate radio. Yeah, pump up the volume, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> all right so okay so alpha dog is so, my number three so my number two pick oh. is going to be uh okay i'll do this one uh from what's what's the year on this fucking film <laughs> uh, from 1925 you got some oldies on here yeah it's 1925 a russian film known as battleship potemkin it's a so never heard of it <laughs> you you probably have uh actually Okay. Um, look up, just Google it real quick, and this goes for everyone at home too, but if you're driving, be safe. You Google it. Look up the Odessa Steps sequence. Odessa Steps sequence there. 
and just silently watch like a couple seconds of it. If you've ever learned anything about video film editing in your life, you've probably seen clips from this part of the film. I'm only mentioning it because this is the most famous sequence from the film. So if you've seen any of it, this is what you've seen. Okay, I have not seen this. Well, so another film that we learned about in school is it's once again a significant film. It's got some of the mo- it's, at the time had some of the most revolutionary editing techniques of all time, and is the film to popularize popularize. Um, um, montage editing from the Russians. The reason okay. why I would never watch this film again is because it's fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> it is phenomenal. It's a very well made. It's and it definitely is, and it deserves to be considered one of the greatest films of all time. Uh, it, it's about it's a dramatization of a mutiny that occurred in 1905 on a battleship called Potemkin, where they rebelled against the officers. Um, it's depressing and it's boring. <laughs> it's what it's not. It's like it's one of those films that, like, if I were to say if it were to get a theatrical release, I'm like, we're going to show Battleship Potemkin. I'd probably go just to be like, oh fuck, <laughs> when am I going to get to see this in theaters again? Right, whatever. But it's not like I'm going to. It's a Friday night. Uh, I want to put a movie on. Let's put in Battleship fucking Potemkin. No. It is the most, it is the greatest boring film ever made. And like, there's things in it that are exciting. It's just, it's just slow. It's dense. The the Odessa step sequence is probably the most entertaining part of the film. And not okay. only wants to entertain you, like it's, it's a good time or anything. It's just the most action. But that sequence has inspired so many famous scenes in movies that it's, it, it's important. It's just such a dull film. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to take away from it because it is so. And, and I will say, it does have one of the greatest, absolute greatest um, cut to actions I've ever seen in a film. So there's okay. a point in the Battleship Potemkin where they shoot a missile, and you hear the sound of the missile, and it's coming, and it's going to come crashing down, and they cut back and forth between a stone lion. And each time they cut to the stone line, its face changes before oh, the wow. bomb goes off. And it's like, fuck, <laughs> in 1925, that's... <laughs> the stone lion's like, oh, shit! <laughs> it's brilliant. It's just so... It's just, it's sad and boring. <laughs> the first part of the film was about the soldiers eating maggots because all their food is infested. And it's like, man, this is a bummer. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. And it's a short film. It's way shorter than Birth of a Nation. This movie's only 75 minutes. But I will say it felt longer than that. <laughs> Last time I rewatched it. So I've seen it twice in my life. I've seen it in school. And then we watched the, the Odessa Step sequence in class. And then I wanted to see the rest of it. So I, I rented it from the library and watched the whole thing. And I was like, kind of dull. But important. <laughs> so, you know, I can I can sometimes appreciate a film as dull if it's important. If that makes sure. sense. Like, sure. uh, it's like, hey, this movie's not doing it for me. But I can see what you're doing there, movie. You're right. But then a couple years ago, Amanda had a film class, and they the teacher was doing a very poor job of teaching what montage editing was. And I was, and she had briefly mentioned Battleship Potemkin, but didn't explain its significance. It's like, okay, I'm going to teach you this class, and we're going to watch the movie. <laughs> Welcome, I am Professor Vyers. Professor Von Vyers, and I am here to teach you about Battleship Potemkin. <laughs> Perfect. So, 
Battleship Potemkin. Like it shouldn't be as nice. high on this list as it is. I'm not actually doing this in any specific order. Yeah, yeah. Um, me, and it's kind of one I threw on the list. It just and the reason I threw it on the list is because there's other films I cut from the list, and I have a hot, like The Irishman is on the list because it's too fucking long. But I <laughs> would rather watch The Irishman right now than rewatch Battleship Potemkin <laughs> or Manchester by the Sea because it's a very dour and really sad movie. But I would still watch that over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Sergei Eisenstein. Your movie's just dull. It's one of the greatest films ever made. It's just dull. You hurt Sergei's feelings. Well, look up Sergei Eisenstein's hair. I think he's doing okay. I also I like that part of this episode is me telling you to look things up. Because <laughs> That's if, I was just going to say the same thing. If we were if we were doing this live, I'd be bringing up all these pictures for you. Sergei, what was his last name? Eisenstein. Uh Eisenstein. He's fine. Hair. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah see? Yep. Nice. Kind of eraser head esque. Yeah, David Lynchian. Very cool. So, <laughs> or, what's your. Or the, um, the art restore from Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. From the Upper Vest Site. <laughs> so, what's your number two, Nick? My number two is by one of my favorite directors. Ooh. Who we discussed on the show recently. Actually, I think it was a Patreon episode. Um, David Fincher's follow-up to his first feature-length film, Alien 3, Alien Cubed. I don't know how it's properly titled. Alien with the little... With the tiny three. Yeah. Yeah. Which this film title also has a number in it. He must have been really running with that. Seven. I saw this movie only once, and... I want you to explain yourself, but I will say the first time I saw yeah. it, I was high school, and everyone was saying how great this film was, and I was like, it's okay. <laughs> I feel like I'd, I'd appreciate it more now, but at the time, yeah. I was like, this is the movie that everyone's talking about. It's no, I think no fight this club. film is so well put together, yeah. so well constructed. Um, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt together are fantastic. What's in the this box? was like, like it was, it was. Brad Pitt, I th- I might be getting the timeline wrong, but it was like, it wasn't Legends of the Fall Brad Pitt, but it wasn't yet like Ocean's Eleven Brad Pitt. It was that like 12 Monkeys Brad Pitt that I would Where that he I was really like, people dug. were realizing, you know, like, oh, he maybe he is kind of sexy. <laughs> right. Before they had re- really ramped up he, like, the sexy. He twitched a lot and like threw his hands up as he talked. It's I not... really enjoyed that Brad Pitt. Yeah, it's, 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 it's. It's I'm taking weird chances, Brad Pitt, and they haven't quite figured out how sexy I am, and they haven't exploited it yet, Brad Pitt. <laughs> I I feel like that is the state in which I perpetually live. Like the world hasn't figured out how sexy I am yet. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> they it's, will, it's, god damn it. It's not quite cutting class, Brad Pitt. <laughs> right. right. Or um, or true romance, Brad Pitt, where he's just stoned <laughs> on the couch the entire time. Right. So. This for for those of you not aware of it, it's a like a crime drama where Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt are detectives trying to solve the serial murder. The the serial murder they come to realize is setting up these murders after the seven deadly sins. They're all very graphic, and because of how like creative the crime scenes are it's like makes it more gut-wrenching somehow because they are disgusting but it's also like the amount of thought that the killer 
who is played by a terrible human being, <laughs> Kevin Spacey. Yeah, yeah um, fuck that guy. <laughs> um, so this is a role he he could really pull off. <laughs> real, real quick, and I just mentioned, so I'm on the Wikipedia page right now for Seven. And the yeah. film says it stars Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kevin Spacey, Arlie Ermery, and John C. McGinley. But you know off to the side where they have, like, the Cliff Note version where they have directed, produced by, starring. Yep. yep. Starring, uh, they don't mention Kevin Spacey. And I'm like, fuck yeah. I, it, while that may be political, I actually think that he might be uncredited in the film. Oh, Oh. I think I think I and I might be making this up, but I have a faint recollection of like of that being kind of an a choice that they made to kind of leave it. Even then, they knew. Yeah, right, right. Um, I I could be making. I might be misremembering. Anyway, the the one that really of the seven murders, even though the Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box. Spoiler. <laughs> um, was was rough the um the lust murder if you've for those of you who have seen it is it's the kind of sexual violence amped up to a thousand that is just so so uncomfortable and so yep. so hard to watch um and again i i don't even know the actor that played the um the 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 man that committed the murder so but he was like forced to by by Kevin Spacey's character i i will never get out of my mental you know i will never be able to erase the image of him shaking holding that blanket as he's kind of interviewed by them after what he had to do it is gut wrenching I'm choked. I'm choking up now. Thinking it's about definitely it a film I need it to is. revisit because, like, I I think I was too young for yeah, and I wasn't even that young. But I just I don't I just don't think I went in with the right mindset on this film because it's definitely a film that I I know from a lot of people truly love this film and uh and definitely is the reason big part of the reason why David Fincher is the name that he is yeah um yeah. because you know I I would say if you did a blind testing of people have people say what their favorite or the when you think of David Fincher who you think of or what movies you think of i would say it would probably be a tie between 7 and fight club yep with yep. maybe social network being a third yeah as being most popular like what people think of uh, and i'm sure uh, so, it's different yeah the, the strongest association yeah i would say, you know i'm sure there's there's other uh, everyone's a little bit different and but he's i would made, say, he's made many great great films yeah i would say those would be uh, his most popular associated with him yeah uh so that was my number 2 Ugh. so my number 1 a film that and this one truly i have no interest in rewatching <laughs> Um, and despite the fact that I think it was a truly great film from 2009 by Lars von Trier, Antichrist. Okay. So, um, I haven't seen this one, but yeah, Lars von Trier as a general rule makes hard to watch films. This is a hard film also to like describe. Um, so I'm going to, if that's cool with you, I'm going to read the plot synopsis from yeah um or plot summary from 
IMDb because it's it's okay. If gun to my head right now, I could tell you vague strokes, and this might not be much better, but like I'm I'm just sitting here struggling to remember what it was all about. A grieving couple retreat to their cabin in the woods, hoping to repair their broken hearts and troubled marriage. But nature takes its course, and things go from bad to worse. So that's very vague, but yeah, right. Um, what it's essentially about is. Well, one, I need to talk about how this fucking film begins. <laughs> so a couple is having sex in the shower. And I saw way more of Willem Dafoe's dick than I ever wanted to see. <laughs> and, like, because it's <clears throat> going in and you see it. Um, and they're fucking in the shower. And while their toddler is in the apartment... And he climbs up to a window and falls to his death. And it's a slow-mo oh. shot of a baby falling out a window, oh. intercut between his parents, just fucking going at it in the shower. That's how oh. this movie begins. It begins with this, Nicholas. Oh. And oh. obviously, they struggle with that. The, yeah. the mother is, is, yeah. going, is, has, is having terrible issues with grief. And to make things worse, her husband is a therapist. And does not want to get her psychiatric help. So they go out to this cabin in, in the woods and things go fucking nuts. And it's it's an interesting film. It's truly fascinating the way that they show grief. But as the film goes on, the 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 wife starts kind of going crazy. Um, but there's also issues with, I believe there was things about... Uh, witchcraft and there might be like a supernatural element happening in this film. And... A fox stares right into the camera and screams, chaos reigns. So there's some shit happening. <laughs> um, but as the film goes on, you know, she she essentially takes out her frustrations on her husband. And there's everything. There's, oh, my God. I can't. I forgot all about this. So <laughs> she doesn't want him going anywhere. And in typical Annie Wilkes um, fashion, instead of breaking his fucking kneecaps, she drills a hole through his leg and puts a stick through it and puts a giant rock on the end so he can't move. And then what she does is she takes uh, a pair of, uh, she takes, I think it's a pair of scissors and cuts off his penis. And Hold get- on. I need to take a screenshot of my face right now. And oh no, it gets worse, Nick. And then I don't. And please, I need to remind you guys. I do not remember why any of this stuff happens. Um, <laughs> at one point, she takes a pair of scissors and cuts off her own clitoris. Yes. Oh. I saw uh. this movie in a theater with people. Oh. I paid my two bits. I got. Oh. I went to the theater. I, I knew nothing about this film. It was playing at our college theater. I thought, well, sure, let's go see it. Um, there was this woman in the theater. It was actually kind of funny. Anytime something bad would happen to Willem Dafoe, she was just sitting there cackling. It was really funny. It was almost like, remember in Cape Fear when like Max Candy just sits there and is laughing hysterically through the entire it's movie? It's been too long since well, I, I saw it a Well, he just sits there ago, and just but... cackles throughout the film. So anything, anytime something bad would happen to Willem Dafoe, she was cackling. And it was, it made the movie comedically funny. <laughs> Um, nice. But then, when 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 uh, um, the actress Charlotte Gainsborough takes the scissors to herself, just it almost feels like the air left the room because even she stopped cackling. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And then uh, after this movie, we went 
to go. We went to Five Guys and then got ice cream afterwards, <laughs> and never had sex again. <laughs> I saw this movie in college. It was crazy. Oh. Uh, I had an opportunity to buy oh. the Criterion edition of this film, and I almost did just so I could have the special features, knowing that. It, I don't know if I ever want to watch this film again. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't blame you for the choice you made. <laughs> but like I said, I was, and it wasn't like, oh, I hate this fucking movie. I, I, it reminded me, like thinking, you know, can't remind me of something before it, it came out. But like, there, it, thinking back on it, some of the imagery reminded me a lot of The Witch and these slow burn horror films that I really like. And I remember just being captivated by what's happening and being confused, but also like. Um, I was confused, but at the same time, kind of like engaged be- from the confusion. Um, you know, there's definitely a thing about witchcraft and Satanism in the film. Um, and it, the way it deals with anxiety and depression and all these wow. feelings. There's so much going on, but it's just like all I can think about is a slow motion baby and Willem Dafoe's dick. <laughs> at the both beginning of the film and the end of the film and <laughs> oh holy wow. shit i got exhausted telling oh. that story yeah yeah let's watch it let's no. do a watch along on antichrist good. i'm good i'm good every time okay. every time something something crazy comes up it's just gonna be a picture of my head covering their dick like ah <laughs> Like you'll just see, you'll just see my face, like, ah, and then you'll see like covering Willem Dafoe's dick as blood God, squirts from behind. I my wish head. there was a way to put that image into the audio like podcast ah. because I don't think our audience can as as much as they will appreciate it. They need the face you just made to, to really complete ah. what just happened. Yeah. So Nick, what's your number one? What film oh. are you never going to watch again? Oh. I exhausted you, and you haven't even seen the that movie. That is rough. <laughs> yeah. um, well, How do you think I felt sitting in a theater with three male friends? As as hard as this next film was me f- oh. was for me to watch, everyone keeps their clitoris. So <laughs> I don't know if it. I, I like how inclusive that was of you. Everyone, it, yeah, keeps their clitoris. everyone. I appreciate keeps that. Their clitoris. Um, I don't discriminate. <laughs> um, the this is kind of the film that that planted the seed of this whole concept for me. This these like really great films that you respect, that are valuable, that are too hard to to revisit, that are just too hard to watch. Um, this one, more so than the other four that I listed, will I think about on a regular basis in a way that hurts me. Mm. Um, Darren Aronofsky's Requiem for a Dream. I have not even seen this film, and it's kind of, and it's kind of because I've been pushing it off because I know it's gonna bum me the fuck out. It is. It is hard to watch. You watch it. It focuses on four characters. Um, Jared Leto's character is kind of what ties all the characters together. It's him, his girlfriend, his mom. And his friend. Performances on all... They are all amazing performances. 
but it is about how drugs destroy all four of their lives. And that's another reason why I've been struggling to see it. You know my history. You know yep. my family's yep. history. It's I know it's going to... And it's it's one of those things I feel like I need to eventually see this film. I can't explain to you why I feel that, but I feel like I need to eventually see this film, and I am not looking forward to it because I know yeah. I'm going to be a mess afterwards. Yeah, it it is it is tough, and even like it's not just cocaine or something. the The mother's character is addicted to prescription pills, so they they kind of cover that angle too and it destroys all of their lives in different ways mm-hmm. and the state of all four of them at the end of this film particularly jennifer Connolly's character but all four of them are it's nightmare fuel for all of them but jennifer Connolly's where she ends up just thinking about it refrightens me and brings me to tears every time it is a tough tough film that ends in the worst way and it i i could i could spend three hours trying to describe how this movie feels and i will just keep saying over and over again it is so hard to watch so i'm not gonna waste any more of your time saying that for the seventh time. i am wondering if now we need to do a shameless picture show double feature <sighs> of requiem for a dream and labyrinth <laughs> I thought you were going to say uh, Antichrist. Uh, you're number one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think Wrecking for Dream and Labyrinth. Oh. Oh. We'd have to end with oh, Labyrinth. The, oh, the twisted tales that Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> like I said, we'd have to end with Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd want to end uh, the just, that. So. How are you feeling, buddy? This, this this episode was rough. This was way more rough than I was expecting. Like, it's, at first, it started off kind of like, okay, we're going to talk about racism and why that's bad. Okay, these couple movies are weird and, not, oh. and just kind of long. And then we were like, we without planning that, we both came out swinging for number one. <laughs> and, and I think, uh. like, it wasn't just thinking about our memory of watching the films that we each suggested, like... Your description of the films, like, got to me. Well, could you believe I put no work into this? Zero work. I I thought about which movies I wanted to pick, and I wrote them down. But again, I haven't watched any of these films in so long because I can't. I spent five minutes making a list. That was it. The rest of these descriptions, like, I'm cheating a little bit. I do have Wikipedia open for, like, some factoids, but, like... No, I didn't put my thought yeah. in, like, what films can I put that is really going to make Nick squirm? <laughs> and if my descriptions can make you squirm, you couldn't. You, I don't I'm, think you'd be able to sit through Antichrist. I'm a little bit nauseous. A little bit. Uh, yeah. Well, this has been another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> I hope uh. we have depressed you. But, hey, hey, you know what? I will say that's the power of film. You know what? It can, it, can, it can fill you with joy. It can restore your faith when you've lost it. And it can bring you crashing down. Can I... When, oh, I was, go ahead. I was going to say, can I read one thing to you real quick? 
You so I am on the Antichrist Wikipedia page. <laughs> Damn it! And no, this is too funny not to read to you because the way it begins, where it goes, and then the ending is just super funny. So I do need to specify, and I'll find a clip of the audio so you can play it. But there is a talking fox in Antichrist that just yep. screams at you, "Chaos reigns!" And for the longest time, me and my buddy Greg, who I have to go see this with, we just used to yell at each other, "Chaos reigns!" all the time. Um. So. Under the release section on Antichrist, they say the film premiered during the competition portion of the 2009 Cannes Film Festival to a polarized response from the audience. The film <laughs> prompted several walkouts, and at least four people fainted during the preview due to the, due to the film's explicit violence. At the press conference following the screening, Von Tr- uh, which just says Trier. Trier was asked by a journalist from the Daily Mail to justify why he made the film, to which the director responded that he found the question strange since he considered the audience as his guests, not the other way around. He then claimed <laughs> to be the best director in the world. Charlotte Gainsbourg, <laughs> Gainsborough won the Cannes Film Festival's award for Best Actress. The ecumenical jury at the Cannes Festival gave the film a special anti-award and declared that the film to be the most misogynist movie from the self-proclaimed biggest director in the world <laughs> it gets better can festival director uh thierry Fremo responded that this was a ridiculous decision that borders on a call for censorship and that it was a scandalous coming oh it was scandalous coming from the ecumenical jury Finally, the talking dog was nominated, or sorry, the talking fox was nominated for an award called the Palm Dog, which is a yearly alternative award presented by international film critics from the Cannes Film Festival. So they choose their favorite dog in whatever films came out that year. So the talking fox was nominated for the Palm Dog, but lost to Doug from Up. That was a very good fox. I liked that fox a lot. I just love that this is the only time in my life that Antichrist and Up can be mentioned in the same sentence. Like I feel Chaos like it should be a piece reigns. of trivia. Like what what do what do what does Pixar's Up and Lars von Trier's Antichrist have in common? Yeah, what they were both nominated for the Palm Dog. Wow. <laughs> Chaos reigns. Squirrel. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I had to read that to you. I had to read the entire thing because I was originally just going to read the last part, but then as I was reading the rest of it, I was like, oh man, this is all good. This is all I good. Will, I will say, I think that that is the most uplifting thing associated with the film that you described to me. So I think that is a good place to wrap up this otherwise draining conversation. And we did this because we thought it was going to be easier. We th- we're like, hey, let's really phone in an episode, man. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, next up, I think we should do Flounder Good and do uh, Midnight yes. Cowboy for him. Which has been on both of our shameless yes. since the beginning and of the show. It is currently streaming on HBO Max, so if you have that. Awesome, I do. If, if not, you know, sign up for a free 14-day trial or whatever the fuck <laughs> they do. And, uh, you know, join us for some Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy. All right, Which Nick. we will record before midnight. Yes. So, so... But I, mean, I am wearing my cowboy shirt. You are, and you're looking sexy. Not that anyone can see. I'm Thank wearing you. a Misfits t-shirt I've had since high school. Also sexy. <laughs> you, got, you know, you can take you can you the punk can grow up, but he's still a punk at heart. Right. I really appreciated. I watched um, Young Adult with Charlize Theron. Oh, that movie's so good. Um, 
yet last night, and I really appreciated that Patton Oswald's character had a vandals. A small vandals mm-hmm. poster over his bed. <laughs> you like, should yes. see, and he had a pixie shirt on. I'm like, I am dipping his character. <laughs> There's a, a a spiritual follow up to that film that um, Jason Reitman also directed, starring okay. Charlize Theron, called Tully from 2018. It was it was it was written that by Diablo Cody. It, it was me and Amanda's probably our favorite movie of 2018. Oh, nice, very cool. Yeah, so um, um, check out. Tully. Tully. Will do. All right, man. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Uh, not really. <laughs> Have we depressed good. all of our shame listeners enough tonight? And I'm going to put out a special special calling. If you guys, if anyone out there watches all ten of these films <gasps> in, in, in sequential sequential order from what we listed them and you guys can give us proof if you do that you watch all 10 of these and are able to we'll we'll do two things for you one we will find some special swag i'll give you one of my movies i'll give you all of our swag i'll even give you a free month of patreon on top of all that you guys will win a special award from both me and nick nick if you don't mind me speaking for you i figure (laughs) if anyone does this like i say watches all 10 of these films and gives us some sort of proof we not only will you you receive everything from our patreon and if we have more stuff by then you'll get that too you'll get a free (laughs) month of patreon you will get one movie from my personal movie collection hey you could even be porno you don't know Nick will give you a copy of Normal on DVD if you still I, have I, some left. I can do that. I do. I and do. you can come on the show and tell us what this 10 depressing fucking films. <laughs> and if you've seen the film already, you have to rewatch you it. You still have to watch you it have again to as watch part of this challenge. 10. That's what I'm throwing out there. So you get all of our Patreon stuff. You get a month. No, you get we, two months of Patreon for it, free. You we get, should also figure out a way to throw in a few months of therapy. <laughs> yes, you'll get two months of Patreon for free. We, you will get therapy from me and Nick exclusively. Uh, you'll get a movie from my personal collection. I'll pull something from my shelf and give it to you. You'll get a copy of Normal, and you get to come on the show and tell us how fucked up your life is now after watching Antichrist. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh. Woo! Challenges that out is there. One, that is one hell of a... I would rather eat a jar of cinnamon. Okay. Challenges out there, and I'm going to call out our go-to listeners. Flounder, if you're listening. Katie Cadaver, <laughs> if you're listening. Steve Wartruba, if you're listening. If any of y'all fuckers are listening, this is the challenge I am throwing out. And, you know, even if I and don't know who will, you are. If you're some dude from Australia right now who just right? really wants to get on our good graces, this is the challenge. <laughs> wow. That is one hell of a capstone. Um, we should, if if they do it, we should bring them on for oh, that's a the Patreon plan. episode. Yeah, Patreon episode. Oh no, no, they're going to talk on, about the experience. They're going to be on a real episode so everyone can hear it. <laughs> you will all listen to this. What did the, what did these films do to you? <laughs> yes, and like I said, Woo! prove it to us. You know, you know, because it's. A screenshot of you starting the film will be good, but then we're going to quiz you a little bit on the film. But like, yeah, I think a quiz is a, a good. little quiz. Um, no, that means we'll have to watch these and, again after all these years in order to come up with quiz questions. Uh, I, 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 we'll figure something out. Um, message us and tell us you want to do it, and we'll get started on this. So once again, <laughs> we'll the, fucking do it. The films are my five were Birth of a Nation, 
by D.W. Griffith from 1915. Trash Humpers from Harmony Crenn, 2009. Cannibal Holocaust from 1980 by Ruggiero Diodato. Battleship Potemkin, 1925 by Sarah J. Eisenstein and Antichrist, directed by Lars von Trier, 2009. Nick, it doesn't matter if you don't have the directors and dates. I, just I, had a, I, I closed had my IMDb uh, tab. So mine are Hostel, Seven, American History X, Alpha Dog, and Requiem for a Dream. So that's the ten. Whew. And and if you have a problem watching those films, I have two words for you. Watch, Watch movies. movies. <laughs> And that's it. Wow. (laughs) The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers. Today's episode was edited by Nick Richards. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The Shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.